Well, good morning, church. So today we're going to begin just a four-part series on on the concept and the idea of church. Today is the the idea of as as church as a community. What is church? We're going to kind of talk about that and and visit that a little bit here this morning. Um, then next week we're going to talk about what does it look like to be an individual within that community. The week after that, we are going to deal with, um, with, with the idea that the church is a community within a community, that, that we are a community of believers that exist within Sheridan, uh, the city of Sheridan, and, and what does that look like to interact and interface with that? And then finally, the continuity of community, the reality that the things that we do today have eternal ramifications, they have eternal um, purposes. They have eternal things that are going to continue on even as this whole thing gets wrapped up. And so we're going to want to kind of look at those, all of those different uh, facets of, of church and, and church life and, and, and some of those things. And so this morning, um, how many of you came to church? All of you, huh? Right? We came to church. Well, I want, us to, I want to challenge us just a bit with our, with our thoughts on church and what church is. See, church to us seems to be kind of this place that we go to, right? We, we talk about, I went to church, and so church becomes a building, it becomes um, a sermon I heard, it becomes some of those different kinds of things, but there's, there's, there's a bigger picture to church, and I, I want us to kind of get that and start to grasp the concept of, of what church really is. When we think of church, we usually get a, some kind of an image like this in our mind of a building or a place, but church is... Church is not that. There's a, there's a reality to this thing that, that Jesus isn't coming back for this building. And Jesus isn't coming back for denominations. Jesus is returning for his people. And his people um, are, are what we're going to look at as we kind of start to look into this concept of the church. See, the church really is Jesus' idea. It's his thing. Um, I want us to think about this like an embassy. Now, now an embassy... Is, is a diplomatic mission, basically. And, and it's a group of people from one state that are present in another state to represent the sending state or the organization officially within that receiving state. So this is, this is a picture of much of what the church is. The church is like an embassy. We're, we're, we're placed into the world around us. And, and really the church, as we do that, one thing about a, a, an embassy is that the rule and the reign and the law from the, from the country that it represents is the law that applies within that embassy. As a matter of fact, that embassy is a sovereign place. It is a place actually that belongs to the nation that it came from, and, and, it, and it represents the values and the rule and the reign of that place or that nation. <clears throat> so the church... Is, is, is meant to be that. We are, a, we are a people who represent the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. And, and we live and exist within the world around us. And the idea is that we would be ambassadors, right? Because an embassy, an embassy building is just a building. A church building is just a building apart from the people, right? So, so it takes ambassadors to, to fill this embassy up. And an ambassador is, is an official envoy, He's a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as the resident representative of his or her own government or sovereign or appointed 
for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. Webster's Dictionary. So this is where we are. We're temporarily here as ambassadors, filling the embassy of the church, affecting change into the world around us, representing the rule and the reign, the, the, the law and the precepts of the kingdom of God, and representing that to the world around us. <clears throat> so, what is church? Let's look into it a little bit. Colossians 1.18 tells us that, and he, being Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So, so Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the boss of the church, right? Um, the church has been given over to him. He's purchased the church, and he is the beginning of all things. He's the firstborn from the dead. It's the idea that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. Remember that the resurrection is the hope of those who have trusted in Christ. It's the hope of the gospel. It's the part of the gospel that is the hope for the believer. The hope for the unbeliever is salvation, the salvation message of the gospel. But the hope for the believer is the resurrection, that one day that we will be resurrected to new life in Christ and we will live again but that in everything, <clears throat> that he would be first. Everything about church must first go through the lens of Jesus. It's gotta go through him. It's gotta, he's gotta be preeminent or first in every single thing we do. It's a big struggle with the church today is that we, we start to get into programming. We get into our own thoughts, our own ideas of, of how to make this happen or how to, how to grow the church or how to see the church flourish. But really, he needs to be preeminent in all things. Ephesians 1, 20 to 23 says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. <clears throat> and so the church is subject to Christ, right? He's the head over the church. And the church, it tells us here, is the body of Christ, right? So, so it's represented, we see this, this idea or this concept that the church is a body, and what does a body represent? It's, it, it's the place, it, it's how we move, right? It's how we get around. It, it, it's, this, it's this part of our being that, that moves us around the world that we're in. It's the place where our intellect and our emotions and all of these things are housed is, is within this body. And we're given this idea or this concept that, that Jesus um, is, that the church is his body. And it's the fullness of him, it's the fullness of him and he fills all things always, right? And, and so the church becomes this way, the chosen way of God, that he is operating in the world around us today, that, that God has come to affect change in the world around us through the church, right? And, and, and so, so it's the body, and, and, and what is this idea of this body? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you, 
You are the body of Christ and individually you're members of it. So a body is, is comprised of, of many members, many parts, all of those parts being necessary for the body to move in the way that it is designed to move in. And so all of us are the church. So the church isn't a building, the church isn't a sermon, the church isn't the pastor, the church isn't the staff. The church is all of God's people coming together to move as his body, each bringing unique and, and, and God-given, spirit-given gifts to exercise within that body. You see, and, and the gifts and the giftings that God has given you don't belong to you. They belong to the church. They belong to the church. They belong to the body. And so there's a, there's a necessity for the individuals to be members or part of that. For just as the body is one and has many members and all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So what's it saying? Again, there's, there's many members, one body. There's only one body. There's only one way, Right? This is the offense of the gospel at times, right? John 14, 6, that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, right? <clears throat> so there's only one body, and there's, but there's many, many members within that body. There's an incredible amount of diversity within the body of Christ. There's diversity of, of ethnicity, of race, of, of giftings, of abilities, of position, of places, of work, of, of all kinds of things. See, there's nothing other than Jesus that would bring this group of people together, right? We, we come together under Him and for Him to represent Him, to be ambassadors in the world around us to Him. And the reason that we come here today and we kind of meet in the embassy is to encourage one another, to, to share with one another, to... Um, to be a part of one another's lives, to grow in relationship to one another, to deepen these kinds of things, and to recognize that God is bringing all of this incredible diversity together for a purpose. And that purpose is to move in the world around us, right? So, so we always have to remember that, that this and this time, is, it's important time, but, but remember, you're, you're an individual part of, of God's body. You're an individual part. You, we make up the church. And see, the, the problem with church in America today is that we've, 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 we've made it about us. We've forgotten what church is about. We, we've, we've turned church into this consumeristic thing. We live in a consumer society. We, we're consuming to the nth degree. And so we approach church in the same way. It's like, well, what, what, what can you bring to me? What do you have for me? How good is the worship? How amazing is the speaker? All of those kinds of things. See, these are the wrong approach to church. See, church is really a picture of marriage. A church is a picture of, of a bride and a groom. It's a picture of commitment. It's a picture of um, long-suffering. It's a, it's a picture, really, of, of, of beginning to understand that all of these individual parts that are in there, and some of them get on your nerves and mine too, Right? We're all here for each other. You know why? Because we need each other, right? 
And there are places and there are things in my life and your life that need kind of honed a little bit and sharpened and changed and maybe some rough edges that need to come off. And that happens here, hopefully. Hopefully it becomes a place where because Christ is preeminent in all things, because he's above all things, because he's the one who's the most important in this deal and not myself, we start to recognize and start to appreciate one another's idiosyncrasies, start to appreciate each other for what they bring to us instead of just being annoyed and upset, right? It's a place where we're supposed to begin to to, to put off our own right to be right, a place where we're supposed to be about the one another's, considering one another is more important than ourselves. First Peter 2, 9 and 10, but you are a chosen race. You're chosen. What, what an amazing concept. You know that God chose you, that, that his desire is for you, that he has jealously pursued a relationship with each and every person here. And he has with, with the entirety of the world. John 3.16 says that he so loved the world that he gave and he made opportunity. On God's part, he has chosen us. So when we said yes to Jesus, we became part of the chosen, right? And we, we begin to walk through that door from called into chosen. And it says you're a royal priesthood. And what was the priesthood? Well, well the priesthood was about making sure that things were done in a manner and in an efficiency and in the ways of God. They were, they were to preserve the ways of God. They were to make sure that those things were passed on. They were there practicing sacrifice and different things like that. This is the picture, and we're now called as priests into a priesthood, a holy nation. See, a people who are set apart, holy, different than, an embassy within a world that, that, that has no clue, really. And, and we're going to talk about that in a minute and just the, the privilege that that is. But, but, and then you're a people for his own possession. That we're not doing this. We don't have to do this because we're trying to please God or appease God. God is pleased. If you're in Christ, it's good. But we have the great opportunity to join him in what he is. You're his possession, but out of that out of a recognition of the reality of that we are his possession, that should begin to move us in a direction out in the world out there. It should begin to, 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 to mean something to us, that we're, that we're his possession, that he would say that we're precious to him. And then it goes on to say that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, this is, this is our message, right? We're there to proclaim that, you know what? Once I lived in darkness and now in light. I can, I can really relate to, to Dan's story. There's a lot of people out there, especially in, I've lived 30 years in Sheridan. And let's see, what did I live? I lived about 12 of those years were BC, right? back in BC for me. And so, so there's a lot of, there's some people that can tell you some interesting stories about me out there and can't believe that I became a Christian. Matter of fact, when I became a Christian, many of them just did this. Wow. <laughs> yeah, just like that. 
But he's called me out of darkness. And he's called me into his light. He fundamentally changed who I am. He fundamentally changed everything about my thought process and how I, how I relate to other people. He taught me things that I didn't know how to do, how to be a husband, how to be a father, how to live in community, how to do these different things. He, he's translated me out of a kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom of light. And remember, as ambassadors, this is our message. This is part of our message is, that, is our experience, our testimony, what's happened with us. Once we weren't a people, but now we're a people. Why? Because of his mercy. 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Remember, the church is the chosen means by which God has decided to affect change in the world around us. His appeal is made through his church right now. This is, this is our message. This, is, this thing is that through us and through our lives that God is making an appeal to the rest of the world, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's our simple but powerful message is that you're in a kingdom of darkness, but you can be in a kingdom of light. I was there once and now I'm here, right? That, that, that your, your, your relationship with God needs to be reconciled. It, it needs to be brought back into order. This is our message. It's a simple message, but it's a powerful message. So what does this look like numbers-wise, right? Do we, what, what do we have to have to be a church? Well, again, I would have us to think less about going to church and more about having church. Because you can have church a lot. As a matter of fact, it tells us here that where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And, and so, so church is this thing, and, it, and, and what it's not saying is where two or three Christians just get together. There, there, there needs to be purpose in why they, they're getting together, right? But when two or three are gathered in his name, that he is there among them. Now, let's, let's preface that with, with time alone, your time alone with God is important, and it's powerful, and it's, it's good. You know, you, we need to be spending time with God and meeting with God and having a quiet time and those kinds of things. But I'm going to tell you that the context in which God really changes our lives and where he really brings revelation into the whole picture is in groups. It's not individually. God is going to more powerfully work in your life in the context of relationship to other people than he is individually in your own life many times. I'm not saying he doesn't ever do that. In your quiet time, he does. But I can't remember how many times as a small group leader, I would prepare for, for group. And it was only in the context of the group that all of a sudden there was an aha moment. I would see something that I, I was just... I totally missed, and it was because the Spirit of God was, was there. And, and then when we're gathered together, we're much more than we are alone. We're not alone with our own thoughts and ideas and all of that. And, and somebody shares something, and you're like, oh, my gosh, wow, look at that. That's amazing. And then I never thought about this, too. And we share, and we grow. So church, church is just this thing, too, where, where, where we can have church. We don't just come to church. Matthew 16, 
So now Jesus talked about the church, guess how many times? How many times he actually mentioned it? Once. Now, the, 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 this is, and it's right here, it, the, this word, this Greek word, the ekklesia, it, it's the idea that it's, it's translated as church. It means a gathering. It means a gathering of people. And, and so it says that when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Remember, the Son of Man was, was, was a, 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 a title given to the Messiah back in the book of Daniel. So Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man often throughout the, the Scripture, and he's saying, who, who are they saying, who do they say out there that, that the Messiah or the Son of Man is, who I am? Say, so I already know. Who are they saying that he is? And some said John the Baptist, others Elijah, or others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, now it's an interesting thing, because what does this point out? It points out and it shows that the, that the world out there doesn't know who the Son of Man is, that, that that is given to those here on the, on the inside. They get it, and then Jesus personalizes it, right? So he says, first, who do they say that I am? But then he says, who do you say that I am? Because this is, this is the key thing here is who do you say that Jesus is? When he says you here, it's plural, so he's basically saying you all, who do you guys, who do y'all say I am? And, and of course, Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, and he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Peter jumps up, his name, right? Jesus calls him by his name, Simon, which means one who hears, Bar-Jonah, the son of Jonah. And then he tells him, look, you didn't get that from the world out there because the world out there doesn't know who I am. It was God who, who, who revealed this to you. It was, it was, it was God who, who brought you in, who helped you to get this and to understand this. And then he goes on and he says, but I tell you now, that you are Peter. When he says Peter, he says that he uses a Greek word, uh, the, the Greek word petros, which means you're a stone, you're a rock, kind of a thing. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this is the place where the Catholic church comes into the, the papacy, the idea that there's been a, a direct lineage all the way from Peter all the way to present day. And they believe that, that the church itself fundamentally, foundationally, and totally is built on Peter. But when we get to the second word, rock, here, the, the Greek changes, and the word there is Petra. And it means like a large grouping of rocks, a mass of rock. It's almost like this idea that, that we've taken all of these individual stones and we've stacked them all up together until we have a real mass of rock. And, and Jesus is saying, on this rock, I will build my church. Well, 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 how do we become one of those other, those stones? It's by our statement of faith, who is Jesus? You see, we can't take, you can't take Jesus and just take whatever you believe and then tag Jesus on top. We have to really recognize that, that Jesus, we have to know Jesus as he is, 
not all as we would maybe have him to be or desire him to be. We, we take Jesus as he is from the scriptures, and when we do that, we become part of this greater rock. And it's this rock, it's this gathering, it's this mass of stones, those people who have proclaimed Christ, right, to be the Son of God, that, that he's the Messiah, that he's the one who has come and, and paid the penalty for sin, who has substituted his life for our life, who's stood in the gap for us so that we might have life. This is those who are in the church, and he says that, that he was going to build his church right there, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the church is not on defense. We're not on defense. We're on offense. Hell is on defense. Gates are a defensive weapon. But it says that the church, when the church is moving and it's operating and, it, and it's, it's living in the manner that it's intended to live and it's operating in the manner that it's intended to operate, that it will just pound on the gates of hell and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. He goes on to say this. He goes on to say, I will give you I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Who are the keys of the kingdom given to? The church. See, the, the, the world out there does not have the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom that unlock the gates into of heaven are given to the church. We have the keys that unlock those gates. We have the power to come against the gates of hell, and it will not prevail. We do not fight from a place of wondering what the outcome will be. The outcome is secured. We fight from a place of victory. We fight on our knees, understanding the reality that we are victorious, and that it's our job to take this message that we've been given and to take it out into the world and and see others come into this kingdom as well. Remember, ambassadors living under the rule and the reign of the kingdom that they represent. You see, this is why there's a necessity, an absolute necessity for judgment to begin within the house of God. And there's a necessity for that to begin to happen. I'm going to hold that it's not happening in the way that it needs to happen so that the world out there begins to see something different. You see, that the judgment has to happen in the house of God so that the house of God is, represents the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God, living under the ordinances and the precepts of God, who are a holy nation that are set apart, that look different to the world outside there, so that there's some desire to actually maybe want to come in, so that there's desire, so that it looks like, and, and it's operating in a way in which the relationships are so deep the commitment to one another and the commitment to God is so deep and so profound that the world, everything that the world is already looking for out there, they say, wow, look at it. It's actually happening inside of the church. See, Peter got this idea. He got this concept. First Peter 2.5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're those stones. You're part of this massive rock, and you're being built up into a bigger spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood. There it is again, a set-apart priesthood, those who preserve and perpetuate the ways of God to offer spiritual sacrifice, not physical sacrifice, and those things that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, what's acceptable to God? Jesus made it pretty easy for us, right? He summed it all up in two, two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, uh, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These things are our spiritual act of, of worship and, 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 and sacrifice. Hebrews tells us this. It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So again, no condemnation in this. Um, if you're online, um, it, you know, that's great. We, we understand and we get that there, are, that there are difficult seasons right now maybe. And, and, and I'm not trying to say that everybody should be in here right now this moment, but there's a necessity for God's people to meet together. See, it's one of the dangers of, of, of online church or just going to online church is that it, it separates us. It, it, it then makes church about the individual, not the individual participating in the, in the greater group. And, and, and so there's this necessity that we would meet together and we would do it all the more as we see the day drawing near. And I think that one thing that we should see as Christians today is the day drawing near. I can promise you this, it's never been closer. <laughs> right? It is certainly drawing near, and there are certainly some interesting things shaping up in the world around us today that I think should begin to, to spur us to begin to say, look, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You know, we've been caught up in some stuff, and we've been, we've been distracted by so many things. We've been caught up in things that really aren't going to have eternal value. We're really not always living as ambassadors into a world around us. You know, we've, we've got a lot of, there's a lot of problems within the church, but the church has always had a lot of problems. If you read the Bible, you'll see that there have been struggles from day one. And there's a problem with it. You know, the hard part about church is all us people, right? We complicate it. We make it hard. We, but, 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 I, but we really need to recognize really deeply the division that the enemy is bringing into the church right now. Certainly the world around us, but, but the world around us is leaking into the church. You see, as the church is a set-apart people, as the church is these ambassadors with the rule and reign of the kingdom of God and, and perpetuating that, you see, we're meant to disciple the culture around us, not have the culture around us infiltrate into the church. We have to look different. We have to follow. We have to listen. We have to do the things that God has called us to do, the people that he's called us to be. Acts 2 shows us a picture of the early church, what it looked like as, as everything was, was shaping up and beginning. And it begins by saying that they devoted themselves. So think about that, just the concept, the idea of just devotion, of being absolutely sold out, devoted to the things that we're talking about. To what? To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. See, the, the fellowship aspect of this is so crucial. One of the problems I think within the church today is that we, we tend to find all of our social outlets outside of the church. 
and we need to start to find more of them within the church so that the relationships within the church grow, so that they become deeper. See, they were committed and devoted to their fellowship. And, and if you think about fellowship, it's like you're two fellows on a ship going somewhere. There's a destination. There's, there's the idea that we're, we're going somewhere together, right? To the breaking of bread, they were eating, having dinner together, and to prayer. Again, we talked about this last week. Everything has to begin with prayer. We can't treat prayer as this last-ditch effort that nothing else that we did worked, so now we have to pray. It's all we can do. No, we have to start with prayer. Everything starts with prayer. Everything starts there, asking and appealing to God, to Jesus. What would you have us to do? It says, an awe came upon every soul, and, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. So this group of people, their fellowship was so deep that they were making sure that they were meeting one another's needs. And they were willing to do that in a way that wasn't always easy or comfortable. It was sacrificial in how they did some of that. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. They had favor in the community around them. They were so involved somehow in loving on their community that they had favor within the community. See, it's incredibly important that the church is impacting the community around us so much that if the church wasn't here, the community would really, really, really miss us. And sometimes that's what we have to ask ourselves is, if we were gone tomorrow, would the church, would the community even know? Would they even recognize that we weren't here? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why? Because they had such an authentic community. Because they were so effective, they were so devoted. They knew, the people outside of that knew that they had something, and it says that the Lord just kept sending people every day, and they kept growing and growing and growing. The church actually started as a mega church, 3,000 people in one day. Man, and then they were scrambling, trying to work this all out, and kind of they met in homes they went to. So, so I don't know, you know, sometimes we're like, well, what's the biblical model of, of church? I, I don't know. I see all of it, you know, see see all kinds of different things. Um, what is the church? You know what the church is? It's a beautiful mess. That's what it is. It's a beautiful mess. It's, it's Jesus' bride. And, and, and you know what he is doing? And I believe that right now in the world, they've got a shaking foundationally so many things within the church. And he's purifying his bride. He's bringing us to a place of, of beauty, a place of being worthy almost in this idea of, of, of being his bride. That, that, that he's shaping us and he's changing us. You know, Eugene Peterson about church, he said this. He said, you know what? It is full of sinners. And one or some of them you call pastor. You know, um, this is a reality of, of, of what we're doing. This is, it's not always easy. Church is actually a hard thing. It's an interesting animal in itself. Church is, church is hard, but church is so good. Church is so good, and, but, but church requires all of us. See, the diversity of the people, it's representative of the diverse nature of God himself, right? That he's three. 
But that diversity brought into perfect unity the one true God, His church. The diversity brought in, it puts on display. This is our job is to put on display the bride of Christ, that we're meant to be that. We're meant to be a community of such community and connection of people filled with love for one another, a community that stands in contrast to the world around us, a community so attractive that people want in, a community devoted to the cause with a simple but important message, be reconciled to God. So you know you have a great thing if people want in, right? America, historically, people have always wanted to come in. Why? Well, because of the the, the opportunity that was before them, right? That, that regardless of where you came from or your background or any of those kinds of things, that, that there was an opportunity there for you, that you could, you could actually flourish and your family could too, that you could enjoy freedoms, religious freedom and freedom of thought and, and, and all of these kinds of things. And so, so people have immigrated for a long time into America. Why? Because it's, it's a good place to live, Right? But I don't think North Korea has an immigration problem. I don't think they do. Why? Because nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants in there, right? So as a church, that's the big question is, is what are we going to do? How are we going to create community in a way that's authentic, in a way that's meaningful and deep, to create disciples, right? Because ultimately... This is what we know, that my clicker doesn't work. Oh, I think I went one too many. Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church of the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Wow. The church isn't supposed to just put on display the bride of Christ to the world around us. It puts it on display to the heavenly, to the spiritual realm even. This, this idea that, that God is right, that he's the redeemer, that he's went and he's redeemed a people back for himself, it puts on display the nature and the character and the grandeur and the awe of who God is. And finally, we're given this message, right? It says, Jesus came to them and he said, all authority, how much all on heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is our prescription for growing the church, for bringing more people into the kingdom, the message that we have, the salvation message, be reconciled back to God, being a community of people devoted to one another, devoted to the world around us, even though the world around us doesn't get it and doesn't understand and doesn't know, an embassy, a place of infiltration, a place where the rule and the reign of God first comes in and changes this place so that this place might change that place. And we do it by making disciples, right? He doesn't say just go make a bunch of converts. He says go make disciples, those who are able to learn and grow and then replicate themselves into somebody else that can pass these things on. It's part of that priesthood kind of a thing. And so, so we're called to go and to do this into all the nations, into all the world, recognizing that God will always be with us. So I hope that this next week, for all of us, 
May we have more spiritual conversations than political conversations. Huh? May we maybe tone down some of that stuff that's going on. Um, I don't know what your approach is about some of this stuff, but I'm going to tell you that there are pipelines, and I don't care what side of the fence you sit on, our media is a pipeline just feeding us the information that they think we want to hear. And it's this part, a, a huge part of this is the enemy bringing division into the world around us. The church has started to forget because of our, our political angst and anger and frustration. And I get it. It's real. And there's, I'm not saying there's not a place for politics. But I am going to say that I think that our politics right now have the church deceived to the point we believe that we're fighting against flesh and blood. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against the powers and the principalities of this dark spiritual realm. And the church has been given the keys to the kingdom. The church has been given the ability to pound against the gates of hell. But you see, we've got to keep our focus. Jesus has to remain preeminent. He has to become the first thing. Everything about life, everything about our politics first needs to go through that lens before it goes any further. So, Father, we just ask you, we ask that you would help us to be the church. Help us to recognize that church isn't a place that we've come this morning, that we are the church, that we each individually brought church into this place, and this building is nothing more than where the church has gathered today to glorify you, to bring you honor and glory, to, to grow together, to grow in relationship together, to, to go deeper with you, to know more about you that the rule and reign of the kingdom of God might rule and reign in this very place here today, that it might rule and reign in our own hearts, that we might be a people who are recognizing the reality of where we're at. May we be humble enough to repent. May we be humble enough, Lord, to just seek your face. May we seek you with the whole of our being, Lord, and may we recognize the power of the mission that we've been given, the simplicity of the message that we have, that we're simply asking people to be reconciled back to God so that they're not lost forever. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the amazing privilege to join you in that thing, that we are your body and that your body is how you're moving on this earth. And I just pray for each person individually that they would know and recognize that they've been given giftings that the Holy Spirit has given giftings to this church and that we're to use those giftings within the church, that those gifts don't belong to us individually. They belong corporately to the church. And then when the church is moving in the manner that God has called us to move, it's then that we will see the effectiveness uh, of the church in the world around us. So God, we pray against the division of our time. We pray against the, the division that the enemy wants to bring into the world around us. Help us to be mindful and to always remember, Lord, that we never fight against flesh and blood, that we recognize that lost people do lost things, and that we've been given the keys to the kingdom. It's us that's been given the revelation. It's us that knows the reality of who you are, Jesus. And so help us, Lord, that we would be graceful in our approach to the world around us. Help us to recognize that, that lost people do lost things, that, that we shouldn't expect that the world around us would act like they're Christians, but help us in the church to act like Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.